morning, everyone. Our reading today is from Psalm 42, and it's headed for the director of music. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. So we, we packed up uh, the van and it was a white van, full to the brim. Uh, there were tents, and there were boots, and there was food, tins, and there was clothes, and there was uh, coats, and, and jackets, and gloves, and scarves. And there were six of us in this van as well. And we drove from Birmingham all the way down to Dover. And... Uh, we got the ferry from Dover uh, over to Calais, and we were going no further. <laughs> I'd arranged for a few of us to go to the Calais jungle. Really don't like the, the word Calais jungle. Doesn't seem to sit well. But we were going to serve uh, in these big warehouses where there were people of all faiths and none gathered together from different parts of the world to go and give tents and clothes and food to people from different parts of the world. The Calais jungle. We entered into the Calais jungle. I'd been before, so I knew what to expect, but my five friends had never experienced anything like it. We were there with these tents and with food and with clothes, and we thought we were going to enter into a world, a world which 
not many of us have ever experienced, crossing from Somalia into North Africa and getting a boat across the Mediterranean and uh, going to France and then through France up to Calais and trying, trying beyond all hope to get that dinghy across the English Channel. And as we entered into the Calais jungle, with all this stuff, thinking we were going to do a little bit of good work, bring a small moment of comfort. We were met by people who showered us with outrageous hospitality. In different languages, in, in French particularly, they said, come, come, have a cup of tea. I've had tea given to me from people in Somalia, in Ethiopia, in Eritrea, from Iraq, from Syria, from many places around the world, going from one little tent to another with a small fire where they had created some hot tea. Sit down with us. We sat down. We heard stories. We listened to people whose journey, physical journey to this point, was one of terror and horror. We listened to people's stories of hope. Will I be able to get across to the UK? You've come here. How can we get there? We offered prayer. We offered comfort. There was tears. We knew we were going to get back onto that white van empty, an empty shell of a white van, and return back to Birmingham. But these people were going to stay until, until they had enough money or enough courage to make that short journey across the channel. But in the midst of the Calais jungle, one person came over to me they knew that we were from a church, and the person said these words. I once had a faith like yours, but now I have a different question. Why God? And I couldn't say anything in response. You know, you get three years of training to be a Baptist minister, and they don't train you for this kind of thing. They train you for books, not people. And then the person said to me, where is your God? I couldn't give a little answer of, well, he's right here in our midst. I mean, that's what I believe, but I didn't say that. What would you have said? What would you have said? I love Psalm 42. It gets right to the heart of humanity. In verse 3 and in verse 10, there is the taunt, if you will, of the people outside of faith having a go of people with faith to say, Where is your God? ever been in a situation in life where there has been disbelief all around? 
because of human experience. Some of you may have been in that very moment. You may have been asking that question your very self, but for very different reasons than those who are thinking about getting on a dinghy. It may be by the hospital bedside. It may be in that moment of losing a job. It may be that you have a friend or neighbour or family member for whom doesn't have the same sort of faith and assurance that you have, but are searching with questions which kind of seem like a taunt. Where is your God? It's the question of disbelief. But then in Psalm 42, it gets even more heavy. And I'm sorry if this is starting off very heavy. Psalm 42 goes even deeper still. From disbelief to those outside of faith to discouragement from those within the faith. I mean, if you've got a phone or a Bible, in fact, don't look at it just yet, but later on. Look at the language in Psalm 42, which is quite graphic. The language moves from disbelief to discouragement of the soul. It moves from a place of, where is your God, to, why is this happening to me? (laughs) Have you ever experienced that in your Christian life or in life in general? The question, why is this happening to me? What is going on? Verse 3, tears have been my food both day and night. When was the last time you gave a good cry? Verse 4, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. And verse 10, which is... Probably the most terrifying verse. My bones suffer mortal agony and my foes taunt me. This is beyond playground taunts. It is in the realm of bullying, for sure. But there is something not only spiritual and emotional and mental here, there is the physical aspect, the physical connection of being downcast. My soul is downcast. My very physical being is downcast. So in Psalm 42, it's addressing those outside of the faith who are saying, where is your God? And there's also a crisis of discouragement within the faith of a soul and a physique being downcast. It paints a picture of difficult news. But thank the Lord Almighty that whilst there's two questions of humanity, where is your God and why is this happening to me, there are three, so it outweighs the two. That's good mathematics. There are three moments in this psalm that deal with those two very questions. And the first one is this. It's remembrance. It's to remember. That's the first thing the psalmist does in relation to these two questions. Where are you, God, and why me? 
The psalm goes straight into that place of remembering. Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Rob, you would love that last bit. You know, shouts and praise with all the musical instruments that the kids, kids can muster. Bring it on. Worshipful chaos. <laughs> it's great. But the psalmist, in the light of this sense of being downcast and being attacked, says, at this moment, I need to remember. On this remembrance day, what are we doing? We are remembering the sacrifice of the lives given of J. Cook and F.T. James and F. Rushworth and D. Sellers. We're remembering a moment of great sacrifice and an offering of justice and love. We are wearing poppies as a symbol and a sign of remembrance. We recall and we remember things all through our lives for different reasons and different purposes. And some people in the church, no doubt, are really good in terms of remembering. And some of us, like me, have got a brain like a goldfish. Can't remember what I did two seconds ago. Some of us love to remember and to hold on to the past. The old hymn books. Remembering is actually a very godly discipline when we remember the things of God. Remembering who God is. Remembering the reason that we come to worship. Because today is all about how on earth do we worship in a world full of pain. For the Somalian and the Eritrean and the person from Syria, I don't like to call them refugees, I like to call them people escaping worn, torn situations. And yet, the moments of stories regaling their home. We all long for home, a place of security and sanctuary and safety. But this psalmist is saying, I remember my spiritual home. The place of meeting with God. The place of wonder and of beauty and of, of healing and of harmony and of holiness and, and compassion and kindness. It's not the physicality of the temple so much, but the psalmist is saying, I remember your character, O Lord, full of justice, full of love, full of faithfulness. You know, the best place to remember in this church, or one of them, is there where we actually put things like speakers and stands. and Go and have a look at the baptistry. Today, if you've been baptised in this church, go over and have a look. Remember what happened on your baptism. Remember the presence of God. Remember who God is and what God has done for you. Remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the goodness of God. Remember the invitation of God. Remember the call of God. Remember the voice of the Spirit that says, 
to each of us. You are not alone. Jesus has given his all for you to set you free. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is to, is to reset. There are three R's here. You know where I'm going. Remember and reset. I love this moment, moving from remembering how to worship in the midst of pain to resetting. Verse 7. I love verse 7. It talks about deep, called to deep. And when Morag read that to us, I think there was even a sense of, oh my goodness, this is significant. Deep calls to deep. It's a meeting of the souls, the soul of God and the soul of humanity. It's a meeting of community, the community of God and the invitation to be part of the community, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Deep calls to deep. Do you know what? There's so much superficial Christianity out there. Yes. Superficial Christianity. But this psalmist is saying, deep calls to deep in the roar the roar of a lion but no it's the roar of a waterfall have you ever heard the sound of a waterfall like a big waterfall not a small one not a tap out of your sink I've been to Iguazu Falls which is in South America right in the middle of South America it's incredible and if you can't get to South America I mean, there may be some people who can get to South America. Go to Wales. The Brecon Beacons, the four waterfalls walk. It's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. I took my kids there and the dog there, and, and you can walk behind this waterfall and you can hear the sound. But if you're a bit like me, which you're just too tempted, you've got to stick your head under the water. It's a bit embarrassing, actually, because I slipped over and everyone laughed at me. A bit slippy. Don't do this at home. Don't try this when you go on your waterfall walk. But to hear the, the roar and the sound and the gushing and the immensity of the volume of water crashing on the rocks and dipping your head underneath it, being surrounded by the surround sound of water. It's the picture, it's the image of God blessing in the midst of pain, of God being faithful in the midst of brokenness. It takes me back to a baptism. <laughs> this overwhelming sense of water cascading over us, even us as a church, purifying us from a place where we can stand and still stand in the face of the questions, where is your God? Why is this happening to me? The roar of your waterfall, the purifying sense of your presence, the beauty of your holiness, the salvation of your sacrificial love. I will not only remember you, but I'll be drenched in the perfect, peaceful presence of the Holy Spirit. And the third, if the first is to remember and the second is to reset, then the third is to restore. 
You know, St. Augustine in the 4th century, the later part of the 4th century, at his baptism service, he had Psalm 42 sung over him. Imagine that, Rob. That would have been a chant. Psalm 42 sung over St. Augustine at his baptism. Next time we have a baptism here, there may be a bit of chanting going on around the sanctuary. Who knows? A psalm sung over you in your baptism. And for St. Augustine, it was a moment of restoration. Uh, It was a moment of renewal, actually. (laughs) It was a moment where his deeper identity in Christ was living out this deep calls to deep. But verse 11 at the end is about this restoration. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. It's a repeat of verse 5, of course, having to be said twice in order for it to be filtered in and filtered down. And yet I will still praise you. It's not just Psalm 42. There are many psalms where there is the honesty, the raw emotion of the reality of life's pain and struggle and trouble. And yet I will still praise you. By day, the Lord directs his love. And at night, I love this, the Lord sings over you. I'd love you to go away from church this morning, walking in a moment, not only to remember not only to reset, but also a moment of quiet and stillness to know that God sings over you. I love music, but I'm going to confess something, Rob. I love lyrics more. I've got an array of music at home which is quite varied and a lot of it not Christian, shall I I say. But I still look for the lyric, whether Christian or not. What kind of lyric would God sing over your life? In the midst of brokenness and pain, What kind of lyric would God sing over your life? Amen.